In today's Greenlight episode, I will speak with Devin Hampton, CEO of Utility API, about the company's management team and why having virtually no overlapping demographics is actually a strength, as well as Devin's recent viral LinkedIn post about the lack of diversity and inclusion in the clean energy industry. We also will speak about what it takes to transition into and succeed in clean energy. Devin transitioned from bartending to working for President Obama in the United States Department of Energy to eventually becoming the CEO of a successful clean tech startup. Devin and I will also speak about the ambitious recently announced EDIC, Empowering Diversity and Clean Tech Initiative, and its partnership with Clean Energy Leadership Institute and a number of other member companies like Utility API, Arcadia, Elemental Accelerator, AllSense, and Station A. Thanks for tuning into the green light. Now let's dive in. I'm Catherine McLean, founder and CEO of Dylan Green, and today I have with me from Oakland, California, Devin Hampton, CEO of Utility API. Thanks for joining us, Devin. Yeah, thank you so much for, for having me today. I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation. You have an extremely impressive background from your work on the Obama campaign to the DOE, uh, to consulting with civic advisors, uh, to your current role as CEO of Utility API. Um, can you introduce yourself a bit and your, talk a little bit about your career journey? Yeah, um, you know, I appreciate you know, the opportunity to share a bit about that. And what you've listed, right, is what we typically would have on a resume. You know, I've done this, I've done this, and that. That's really only half my career. A lot of times, leaders especially only talk about the things that got them to where they are, the steps. That's me from the time I became quote-unquote professional. But I spent years, I worked for an airline as a union ramp. I moved bags for five years until we got laid off. The union got laid off. That's a big part of my story. I met great people doing that work. I learned a lot of lessons doing that work. You know, I also was a bartender in my hometown for years. I worked in hotels. I always had two jobs before I started this journey. And, you know, I learned that part of the career is just as important. It looks weird in a LinkedIn or a resume. So really, those kind of jobs will really set me up for success once I entered the, the kind of political space. We could go all day how long it took me to get from that work into working for President Obama and not running a company. But I really just think it's important that I learn something in each step of the way. And, you know, there are many people of color that would look up to you as a CEO and maybe working at Alaska Airlines, you know, trying to aspire to be what you've become. What do you think is the most contributing factor to your career success? Part of it's inside and part of it's outside, right? So I'm, I'm a total optimist. And so I always believe that I can do something. And, and even if something doesn't work out, I just believe that like, that's the lesson I need to learn for whatever happens next. You know, I'm a strong believer. I think the phrase is like, good problem, bad problem, who knows? I learned that from uh, actually a colleague of mine, our, our COO at our company, because she lives by that as well. Every time a door shuts, it's probably okay. The next thing that's going to happen because that's what we need to have anyway. So first of all, there's, yeah, there's the optimism part, but I've also had you know, a lot of people along the way who probably saw more of me than I saw myself. You know, I got my start in politics because I was asking people at the bar that I worked at it how to do that. I was interested yeah. in it, but I didn't know how to do it. Literally, a patron was like, hey, I'm actually running for city council and you can come work for me. I've really enjoyed talking to you across the bar. I think you have certain skills. You could probably do this. I'll give you a chance. And, and that was how I got into politics, actually. And from there, I, I knew how to work hard. I've always known how to work hard. Every industry, every space has different lexicons, way of people talking about things, different ways to identify that you're in the in-group. And it was really these folks that would spend time to really bring me in. You yeah. know, I was very fortunate. City council members. 
who else along the way? I worked for a secretary, a deputy secretary, an assistant secretary of energy, all spent time to make sure that I had what it took, but also pushed me. I remember the first time I had a, a woman boss, she asked me if I'd ever worked for a woman before. Mm-hmm. That's kind of lessons are important. You know, a professor at the University of Washington, even though it took me 20 years to graduate, stood by me for 20 years, right? 20 years to graduate, yeah. 20 years to graduate, <laughs> stood by me for 20 years, right? It actually took you 20 years to graduate. Yeah, that, I'm not lying. No, okay, you're right. That is not right. It was 19 years. 19 years. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of folks along the way that, you know, it's, so it's a bit of, you know, personal grit, optimism, knowing how to work hard. But I think when people gave me that razor hand to like help me out or reached a hand to help me out, it was like grabbed it. So I try to do that now for other folks. Yeah. Like, anytime someone sends me a note on LinkedIn or anything, Hey, can we get coffee? Can we chat? I'm like, sure thing. Like you got yeah. an hour. What do you need? It's because people did for me. Yeah, God, I, I think that's um, really admirable and I feel exactly the same way. So I think it's a really good attribute to have. So I want to talk a little bit about CELI. I know that you just started getting involved with CELI, which is an organization I think really highly of the Energy Leadership Institute. So Utility API and about 20 other companies recently partnered with CELI to facilitate more diverse hires within the clean tech industry. Can you talk about this partnership and why specifically you're confident it's going to lead to greater a diversity, equity, inclusion in our industry. I'm specifically interested in what sets this apart yeah. <laughs> from the broader CEO action for diversity and inclusion pledge. Yeah. Well, I'll start at the end of what sets us apart, right? Is we did not want to set out to start a new organization or just to like put some statement out and then leave it at that. Like, mm-hmm. You know, we wanted action. Utility API and a handful of well, about 20 other, at least so, so far, companies in the clean tech space said, all right, what can we actually do? We don't want to start a new organization because people already know how to do this. We found CLI. And like, oh my Lord, this, comp- this group is set up to help enable the challenge that we're trying to solve. And that challenge is, is that, you know, it's almost it's a traditional supply and demand problem. We know that diversity is good for business. We know that it will help our industry, but we're not being vocal enough about showing that there's a demand for diverse voices. And so when a group like CLI goes out and tries to increase that supply, where's the other side of the equation? So we're trying to be as a group of companies to be the other side of the equation saying, hey, we are looking for diverse voices in our conference rooms, in our boardrooms, and everywhere else in between. Diversity is strength. Diversity is good for business and that we will do what it takes. And so we've actually made commitments about the steps we're going to take, which whether it's looking for early stage hires, mid-career, senior officials, really anybody we're going to have the uncomfortable conversations within our own companies to make folks feel comfortable when they come to work with us. We are going to spend the time and effort it takes to actually interview diverse hires for all our job openings. We're going to pay interns when we do have interns, right? We're not going to have a college degree be a requirement for any of our jobs. If that was a requirement for any of the jobs I've had, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't be sitting here. And so maybe I think that differentiator is the action piece, is we are spelling out exactly what we're going to do. We are going out and finding money to pay for those programs. And then we are going to launch those programs. And then, you know, we're going to hold ourselves accountable. Just as the rest of us do in our, in our businesses day to day. We go out, we raise capital. We tell people what we're going to do with that capital. And if we don't do what we said we we're going to do with that capital, we get held accountable. We know that model very well. So we're just going to take what we know find as a successful model. Your leadership team shares no major demographic. And this is a big strength of yours. Yep. As you said, diversity makes the business stronger. Why do you think this is a strength? And what specific strategies can you recommend to other executives looking to attract more diverse staff, particularly leadership? Yeah. As we know, when we focus on leadership, we're not just focused on leadership, but we include leadership as part of our strategy that translate into more diverse staff in general. 
Yeah, so first I'll start with, with our work at Utility API. We really talk about this a lot because it's true. This happens daily. And on our leadership team, we don't have any shared history or shared experience, right? We joke that if we were one of those Venn diagrams, right, we wouldn't have any circles overlap. We actually have too much space sometimes. But that's really great because we bring different perspectives to the table every day. I think something that probably isn't talked much about why the diversity good is we all have different capacities for risk tolerance based on our personal backgrounds, right? And, and those sometimes shift day to day, but it's a big piece, right? Because when you're running a startup, right, startups are risky by definition. And depending on how far you lean it out, you could drive the company on the ground or you could have explosive growth. Right. And you are constantly toying with the difference between those two. And having a diverse team that has different risk tolerances, different lived experience, um, not only professionally, but also just personally, we feel that we make smarter decisions. We know we make smarter decisions based on that interplay between those different strengths. That's really interesting. And do you know, nobody has ever said that to me. I'm really, really glad that you highlighted that because I think yeah. it's such a really great point. You had a LinkedIn post recently, which went viral, where you mentioned diversity, equity, and inclusion in the clean energy industry. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were saying in that post and elaborate your thinking on it? The post came because of things that were happening outside of our industry, right? We mm -hmm. a pandemic, sure, but you know, we have a problem with systematic racism in the U.S. here, and it seemed like this summer, you know, because of some very high-profile, horrendous things that have been happening to black bodies, you know, the rest of the country seems to be recognizing that. You know, it's been my whole life of recognizing that. Right. <laughs> and I don't know why I wrote this, but I was like, maybe I'll just share on LinkedIn, of all places, my own professional experiences with racism in our industry, and thinking that it was already pretty obvious that we had challenges. Mm -hmm. and so I wrote a note saying, hey, you know, what I want to see happen is no longer the only time I see black and brown faces at conferences. I don't want them just on the diversity and inclusion panel. Let's see them on the financing the next phase panel. Mm -hmm. And on the diversity and inclusion panel, let's get the, the white cisgender CEO up there talking about why diversity is good for business. Okay. And, and the reason why I said it that way is that really... Until we as an industry understand that diversity is actually a business driver for us, that, it, that having diverse voices around we're good for business, it's always going to be looked at as like, oh, we should just do that thing because it's nice to do. When that's actually not the case, you know, study to study has proven that it's actually helpful to growing businesses. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that conversation is being had. You know, I've been asked and seen people say, oh, you know, let's get the black leaders to talk about diversity. And so I want to flip it and have that uncomfortable position or conversation, or maybe not even uncomfortable, where next time you go to a conference, it's actually the other way around. I want it to be a point where it's not weird to see diverse voices talking about other things besides diversity. That's such a good point. Right? Like right now, that's where it is. When that happens, we uh, will have, you know, made ourselves be a stronger industry. Yeah. So you and I have spoken a bit about organizations perhaps begrudgingly hiring diverse candidates as like a checkbox exercise. Mm -hmm. So you tend to have support at the C-suite because board, the board has realized that they have to do this for you know, appearances. And then you have HR that is obviously normally a fan of these sorts of topics. Mm -hmm but you have that mid to senior level manager that sometimes is not overly keen on adopting this because it may be seen as more work for them to bring people in or to hire or to train. How do you think that we can get these sorts of hiring managers excited about this? What I hear when you describe it that way, it sounds like I hear hiring managers are, are scared to grow okay. or don't want to have the challenge of growing. 
they, they feel that that's just work and it's not benefiting them or the company. When actually it's quite the opposite, right? It's hiring managers can be, I don't know how you change their minds, but you know, diversity does not help the individual being hired as much as it helps the company as a whole. This whole idea goes back. It's not just in businesses, it's in schools and everything else. People are like, oh my Lord, we're bringing in folks from different backgrounds. Like it's going to slow us down or something. And it's quite the opposite. Um, the people that benefit the most from the diversity are actually the people who aren't diverse, <laughs> like in the first place, 100%, because you're going to be yeah. exposed to you're going to be exposed to new ideas, mm-hmm. new ways of looking at things, uh, hopefully different perspectives. And you know, we all work in industries where we talk about innovation. Well, what is more mm-hmm. than a different way of thinking about getting something done? And so I would think to that hiring manager that you know, if you want to look good in your next review and you want your group to be doing well, you're going to want to have some innovation in that group and. One of the quickest ways to get there is to find somebody who has had a completely different lived experience than you. And yeah. be able to clean out the gaps. Yeah. And challenges out. your thought process. Yeah. Challenges your thought process. We should all want someone challenging our thought process every day. A hundred percent. You know, I've, I've always had folks who have, it was mentors who asked me to do that to them. And, and I ask people who I work with now, the rest of our leadership team at the office, they're, they're, no one hesitates to say, what are you thinking? <laughs> So you guys have received rave reviews from customers like Tesla, NG, EDF. How do you see software and specifically utility APIs platform accelerating clean energy transition? How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Are you a fan? Software is key. We really feel that the services that we provide through our software are actually fundamental to enabling the clean energy future that we all want if we're ever going to have a chance at fighting climate change. Software allows for efficiency and optimization. I can throw one more in there, automation. You can lower costs using you know, our tools. We standardize data and control consent. Who's allowed to see that data? Those are processes that before we existed that could take over a month just to get the data you needed for a project. So if you're trying to build solar panels or buy an electric vehicle or put a battery in a commercial building, and it takes a month just to get the data to build your project, you can do 12 a year. Obviously, you can scale it and have a bunch of teams doing that. With us, that same process can take seconds. And so, and also the cost. If you, if you have the ability to be able to see data quickly and easily and model it quickly, your cost goes down as well in, in labor. So it's the idea of software is just enabling infrastructure, at least the way that we look at it, our software. And it is crucial. Without that, I mean, could you imagine some day, you know, people talk about, oh, there's a problem with the grid right now in California, actually. We can talk about current times. We have potential to have blackouts because there's not enough supply on the grid. But it's really because the grid's old and it doesn't know how to take advantage of the technologies that we have available today. And, and, and software utilized correctly is actually can help that. It is, it's the next stage of where this industry needs to go. And there's real world impacts, right? We're seeing them here in California right now. We can solve those through just cheaper solutions that come because of leveraging what you already have, some new technologies. As a climate fighting company, that's really exciting for us. Yeah. And I mean, what do you see the industry trends are for the business model that you have? Like, what are the strongest drivers? You obviously mentioned climate change, the fires. I mean, what other drivers are you seeing? Yeah, there's a few. You know, there is first, there's making money, right? Mm -hmm. Most most companies like to do that throughout the industry. And right now, things are very inefficient. It's hard to forecast long-term sales in an environment that is slowly moving. By bringing software tools to the table in the industry, they can actually help accelerate the change that we're, we all know is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much easier to then optimize a transition. Right now, we have clean energy mandates, decarbonization right. mandates, right? And so it's regulatory pressure. 
the industry, though, I think understands that we're all moving towards it, that at some point there's going to be a market pressure. Right. There's going to be either a price on carbon or there will be enough incentives in the market so that the idea of changing how we all use energy will be based on price. And I say price on purpose. You ask a random person walking down the street, like, hey, you care about saving energy. They're like, sure, why not? Until they want to use their air conditioner and it's hot. And you're like, oh, you want to save energy, don't use it. Right. But if you say, I'll save you money, do you want to save money? People are willing to get a little warmer if they know they're saving some real money. And so turning those into market-driven processes based on price signals and, and the ability for people to make real decisions or to automate those decision-making processes for them. Right. Uh, I see the industry going that direction and software like ours is, is, is a big piece of that. Okay. So when I talk about Data Hive, the project that you did with Silicon Valley, uh, Clean Energy, which GTM highlighted, I know is one of your favorite projects. Tell us a little bit about it and any other projects that you're working on that you're really excited about. Yeah, that one is, is great. You know, we, we've been building technology and software for the idea that data sharing should be offered by utilities, that uh, groups like Silicon Valley Clean Energy should be able to enable their customers and their businesses in their area to be able to share data easily. And that really changes the paradigm, what's possible in the clean tech sector. And so we've now enabled that. That's beyond exciting. But, you know, the, the next step, or what sometimes that gets me even more enlivened is the idea that we're an API. And for those of y'all that don't really understand what that means, it just means it's easy to connect to something to use. And so we have a lot of users that just start using our tools for use cases that we couldn't have even imagined. And the idea that we are enabling innovative, smart, young companies to just come up with new stuff to do with energy data based on our tools is what she keeps me super, super excited because our job is to make sure that this data infrastructure works. The use cases come from the, the market outside of us. And, and that keeps growing. So I can't wait to see what someone does using us next. Well, I'll leave it on that note. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. This has been a blast. Thanks for listening to the Greenlight Podcast. Are you looking for your next role in climate tech? Join the latest growing network of clean tech professionals and be the first to know about what industry-leading clean tech companies First, post new job openings from development to finance to marketing by checking out our website, dylan-green.com slash latest hyphen jobs. Dylan Green is transforming business through talent. You can also find us on YouTube where we engage with today's top clean energy leaders.